Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Belgian Football Podcast. My name is Ben Jackson and I'll be your host and once again I'm joined by Joris and Scott. How are you guys doing this evening? I'm good, it's good to be back everybody. Hope you've all had a good week. Yeah, well a bit uh, lacking a bit of Belgian football this week but well, nonetheless, um, glad to be back here. Yeah, absolutely as Joris kind of alluded to there. We didn't have many games obviously with a lot of the European teams uh, having their matches postponed so a bit of a shorter week uh, in terms of matches for the Belgian sides, but no lack of action on the pitch. Uh, the first game we had was actually Saturday rather than Friday, and that saw Veselo lose 3-2 at home to Mechelen. Uh, that doesn't really tell the whole picture of that game. It's a bit of a crazy one. Urpen continued their reasonably decent start to the season with a 3-1 win over Leuven. Kortrijk and Standard Liège are still winless. They drew 1-1. One in Kortrijk. St. Sudan lost 2-0 at home to Circle Bruges and then Anderlecht kept up their winning ways with a 2-1 win over Charleroi. Let's start in Veselo uh, where they hosted Kavi Mechelen and yeah, pretty much the story of, of two halves and almost kind of two half an hours I guess you could say in this one. Uh, Veselo took the lead um, Lucas Lassen got his I believe his first goal for or one of his first home goal for the club uh, with a lovely finish from the left-hand side as he cut in and found the far corner. A couple of minutes later, uh, Frigan got his first goal for the side. Kind of had to juggle the ball a little bit as Stassin, instead of feeding the ball through to him, shot, bounced off one of the Mechelen defenders. He had to kind of get the ball from behind him with a flick, then flick it on a little bit more to run onto it and then put it in the back of the net. Really, really nice finish from Frigan and definitely kind of and one of those things where you're like, yeah, that's a that's a decent, decent one. And that looks like a decent player. So it's all looking pretty bad for Mechelen at that point and all looking pretty good for Veselo to pick up their first win of the season. And it pretty much remained like that until the 74th minute. And this all came because of some 55, 55th minute substitutes from Stephen DeFore. He brought a new man, Patrick Fluke, uh, the German winger that signed from, I believe it was uh, Switzerland. Um he comes on and he starts, yeah, providing for the rest of the team. His assist gives Rob Skews a chance to get one back for the side. He then puts in a corner, which is headed into his own net by Nicholas Madsen. And then he provides another assist for Leon Lauerbach to score to make it 3-2. And that literally happened within the space of 10 minutes. From the 74th minute to the 84th minute, Mechelen completely turned it around. Whereas for Veselo... Yeah, not looking great at the moment. That's like I said, they still are without a win. They've only got one point from five matches, and that came in a two-all draw against Urpen to start the season. We did kind of speak a little bit last week about how they they had some tough fixtures. Obviously, Club Bruges, Ghent, and Anderlecht, but they'd have probably uh, guys been eyeing this Mechelen home game as the chance to really get their season started and to kind of throw it away in a very similar fashion to what Urpen did in their kind of. Uh, first game of the season, kind of roll first of that, but to lose this one would be really, really frustrating. Whereas for Mechelen, it kind of you'd hope it maybe would start something. And I, I think we can safely say, Scott, that uh, Mr. Fluke is going to be starting the next game, don't you think? Yeah, I would imagine. I would imagine he will be, and he he seems to he seems to have made himself at home pretty quickly as well. He was talking this week about um, how much he'd enjoyed his first game and um, just how good he felt. Um, so plenty of positives there. I mean, this game really, from Mecklen's perspective, is is the story of that double substitution on, I think, 55, 56 minutes, as Ben was saying. Um, Patrick Fluke comes on. Um, also, Mori Canati comes on. We feel like, well, we have been waiting for that since the season started. Obviously, his visa's been sorted now. He's not fully fit, which is why he didn't start the game. But, you know, uh, Mori is one of these players who, once he is fully fit, will, will become a starter, I suspect. Um, and I think both these two did did make a difference, uh, particularly Fluke, obviously. Two two fantastic assists. The second one in particular, actually, for the third goal, was a really lovely ball with the outside of his foot as well. Um, gorgeous assist, that one. And he seems to have that little bit of quality that they've been looking for, uh, for what feels like ages and, and, and kind of missing. Um, there is quality in the side, obviously, that's been there for a while and, and hasn't really been turning up to the extent that we know it can. So having somebody new in the mix um, who can add to that is is, is going to be very important for them. 
Um, first away win in ages as well. Um, me and Joris were talking about this after the game. Um, back-to-back wins for the first time in what feels like forever as well. You know, so that that ongoing inconsistency that seems to have been plaguing the side now for well, well over a over a year now. Last season was very much like that as well for various reasons. Um, so let's see if they can build upon this a wee bit because. Um, as as good as this is, you know they they kind of have to keep this momentum going, but it will certainly do them do them the world of good, I think. Yeah, maybe you can even call it three assists. Although, of course, for an own goal, you cannot get an assist for uh, for Flicke. <laughs> but uh, yeah, nonetheless, that's that. Um, yeah, the the highlight of that game, and I think you already talked about both talked about it already a lot as well. Laubertwag getting his first goal to stay at Mechel as well. I was also uh, highly needed by now. I think his overall performances have been good, but yeah, he, he is a striker and you, you, we all know strikers need goals at some point uh, as well. And yeah, this game reminded a lot of the, the reverse fixture last season where Michele were uh, four, uh, two down against Westerlo at home, though. Uh, well, that was also early. That was around this time of year, maybe a month later. Uh, but uh, yeah, and, and in the last 15 minutes, Michele scored three three times to, to, to win the game 5-4. Okay, that one was probably even a bit more crazy than this one, but... Uh, nonetheless, uh, I don't think Vesselo likes to play against Mechela for the time being. Um, from Vesselo's side, well, some positives as well, I guess. Frigan also getting his first goal and actually a, a quite nice finish. But um, yeah, of course, um, losing this game still winless and losing this game the way they did. This is the kind of game that, that actually can drag you down to worse things. Um, but in theory, their quality should be high enough, but they, they are just desperately searching for a win. They are not alone in that, but um, I'm sure they they would not have expected with the squad they have at the moment that uh, that they wouldn't still be winless uh, after five games. Yeah, no, absolutely. And they face Circle Bruges uh, away next Saturday. So it's not going to be an easy kind of return to the league in that one. And yeah, it's just, it's interesting, isn't it, to see kind of like Veslo haven't they've also invested a, a fair amount in this squad and they brought in a lot of those young players they've obviously brought in Chadley as well and he got an, a, an assist even though I think Stassen did a lot of the work for that one um but it's yeah I, I was kind of I think we've all spoken about it, haven't we that like we were kind of concerned about them pre the window going into the season because of how many loan players there were and they, they've kind of brought back the same squad but it's interesting as well. I think the goalkeeper situation is maybe a little bit concerning because clearly Bolat, like they've lost kind of some confidence in him after some of his performances. And then Gillikins hasn't looked that great. He didn't look great in this game, I don't think, for a couple of the goals um, and a couple of the moments that I saw. So, yeah, it's an interesting time. But I think you're right. I think that their, their quality should come through at some point. I think they've got a good coach in Derricks who should be able to get the best out of them. But we've been kind of saying that about uh, another team in uh, Leuven, who have also spent a little bit of money now, and we've also been saying have a good enough coach to kind of to keep them in the league and stuff. But they lost to Urpen, who, yeah, back to back three one wins for Urpen. Uh, Got to give Florian Kofer his flowers for this one after a good start to the season. He's got them fourth in the table. Uh, Get an early penalty, uh, 23rd minute guy, Manny steps up, he gets his second of the season. Not as spectacular as his one last week against Courtslike, but a good penalty from him. Um, then Isaac Nuhu gets a goal, a much needed goal from him. Um, they'll definitely be delighted to see him find the back of the net. Um, an assist from Alfred from Bogerson as well. So maybe the start of a partnership kind of blossoming between those two. The side were linked with Sebastian Andersson, the um, the Swedish striker that used to play for Cologne, Union Berlin. But I think he failed his medical um, either this week or something. So it looked like they were going to have this Finn Borgerson Andersson kind of thing going on. But it looks like now it is just going to be Finn Borgerson and Nuhu. But yeah, they look like they're starting to play well together up front. Uh, Eric Sloven did get back into the game when they were awarded a penalty. Steve Schlievers stepped up to make it 2-1 at that time. Maybe a little bit of fear coming in. It was kind of felt like a little bit of a repeat of last week for Erpen. But to be fair to Kofield, he's, he's kind of found his his impact players. And that's Jerome Durham and Reagan Charles Cook, both coming off the bench last game, combining to 
make it 3-1 with Durham scoring this time the other way around. Charles Cook did a lot of the work on the break, running through and finishing really, really well in the 86th minute to make it 3-1. And I have to, yeah, I have to say, guys, from the game, I did watch this one. I think another shout-out, obviously, we're talking Nuhu, Finn Bogus and Charles Cook and those guys, but I think uh, Victor Paulson at the back was was brilliant. Uh, he made a couple of really, really timely blocks to deny Lurvin. Uh, he was really like the leader at the back. And I think they're definitely into that. You think of how young this team is. I think, yeah, he he looks like he's a really smart pickup from them. They're somehow fourth, which just seems ridiculous. Leuven still winless. Um, Mark Bryce came out to say, I don't think this is, like, I don't think the coaching staff is at fault for what's going on here, which I don't think is going to endear him much more <laughs> to the Leuven fans. I think they are starting to, to really turn. Um he also did say we've now got the striker, uh, but he's only been here about three hours, so you've got to give him some time, uh, which I thought was quite amusing. Have signed Yusuf Maziz. Uh, your fans will remember him from his time in Salang, so he could be quite a good player, but quite a good pickup. But 10, I think they said in the website, he said 10th signing. Um, that's a lot of players coming through the door, and we've, I don't want to speak about it again, but their transfer record hasn't been great. More bad playing out from the back as well for one of the goals. Banzuzi dispossessed. Um, really, really poor. So another poor performance from Lurven. A good performance from Erpen. Fair play to Florian Kofeld. He is doing a really good job, I guess you can say, for the Pandas. Yeah, I think the interesting thing about uh, the Pandas at the moment, guys, is you can actually see their kind of confidence starting to grow a little bit. Um, in week one, um, they raced into a two-goal lead kind of quite early, I remember, and sort of threw that away. And I was dismayed by kind of how conservative they were, considering, you know, uh, how decent they were in that opening weekend. But I, I think they've kind of got over that. That was at a point where there was very few bodies in the door yet. Um, and, you know, they were still, like a lot of sides, um, still chasing their tail with the recruitment. Um, they've added a few faces now. And, um, yeah, things seem to be kind of gelling reasonably well for them. The, the, the body language is good as well. Regular listeners will know I like to keep an eye on that, both off the pitch and on it. Um, I think you can tell that these players are kind of buying into kind of what Kofeld wants to do. Um, there's, there's lots of positive uh signals there for me I think and I think it's starting to kind of show in the park um, that people kind of trust one another um, so yeah I mean kind of slightly surprised by how kind of how quick there's been an improvement there to be honest but I think Kofeld's obviously brought in players he knows very well who've been very carefully chosen for specific roles as as they should be um, and, and they seem to be having a, a, a certain impact at the moment which is encouraging for them so I suppose the big question with them is you know, can they continue anything like this early form? Because they have been known to start quite well before, um, and then in the second half of the season, it all kind of come crashing down for them. So the the, the initial signs are kind of quite positive. The interesting thing for Leuven is I didn't think they played badly this weekend. I just I just felt they didn't make the most of their chances. Uh, Mark Bryce is right. You know, obviously the new strikers in uh, Erling Haaland's cousin. Um, he does need to be given a little bit of time. But as Ben was saying, I'm not sure, you know, it's a luxury he's really going to get. They they need to start kind of picking up some points. They maybe deserved something this weekend on the balance of their play. Um, they just didn't take opportunities that they had. And they're becoming a slightly easy side to roll over, I think. Um, they have spells and games where they don't play too badly at all. But, um, yeah, they're becoming, you know, slight pushovers, I think. And that, that ought to worry Mark Bryce a little bit. I think he's hoping that, you know, with some of the players that have come in, obviously Yusuf Massis has just come in today, as Ben was saying, he's a good pickup for them because he's a very good player. He should hopefully be able to to create something for them and, and, and supply. Um, so that that might turn their fortunes around, but they, they need to start picking up some points for their for their confidence. Um defensively they're 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 still looking quite ropey, I think. You know, they're they're conceding a worrying amount of goals at the moment, a lot of them quite soft. They've already conceded twelve. Um, and the only side to have done worse than that is is Courtright, having conceded fourteen as well. So um there's there's a lot of work to be done on on redressing the balance. Um, and a fair bit of pressure on some of those players now, I think. 
and on the discipline because um, five out of these 12 goals came out of penalties against them. So mm. well, yep. that's making it more difficult for yourself, of course. And yeah, that's five penalties against in, in five games. That's, uh, I think, a point Perez also mentioned as well. But not, regardless of that, I, indeed, you're you're talking about offensive and midfield rec um, yeah, uh, recruitments. But I do feel that defense is just not good enough at the moment. And mm. I doubt that they actually will be. Rika can be a good player, but as a central defender in, in the way that, uh, that Leuve plays, I'm not completely sure. Play things... He can be all right, but he also definitely needs some... Uh, well, I'm not the biggest fan anyway, but he, he can be all right next to someone who actually can carry him, I guess. Uh, he shouldn't really be the leader in the defense. Um, and um, yeah, like that, both of them, the combination, it, it, it's a bit, yeah, just not good enough, I think. Uh, like uh, that's, that's, that's actually worrying. So they definitely need to do doing something on, on that front. Um, they also don't really like to play against Europa. The last seven games, uh, they lost four of them and drew what, three of the, the other three. The last win was in 2015 already, so that's a long time ago. Of course, uh, with some spells, again, in the lower league as well, but not that long, uh, still a fair amount of games. Um, yeah, so and then massively underperforming their their their, their uh, expected goals as well. So yeah, definitely on both sides of the pitch uh, and and in discipline, there there are some um, you know, worrying signs for them as well. Open on the other hand, yeah, they even like well, Ben was saying, are they are fourth in the league? They even were uh, joined top of the league for one day. Um, we'll get to that later. Who took over that spot? Uh, and uh, they're already eight points have already eight points bonus before these last four spots uh, already. So um, yeah, maybe they can even start looking higher up to, uh, to the on the on in the ranking. Who knows? Maybe it's a bit early to call that. But after five games, it, it's starting to look really good for them uh, regarding relegation already. Um, of course, uh, whether they can really maintain this this form is unlikely, uh, and we'll have to see how much of the the drop off it will be. But um, yeah, they they got already got a, themselves a nice buffer as in the last uh, two seasons already, I believe, and well in seasons before that as well. Yeah, um, yeah, and then so Kofel doing a really good job so far with Urpe, and um, yeah, for for them, everything is smooth sailing at the moment. Yeah, no, it definitely, definitely is for them. Uh, Leuven have a great chance to kind of get back into or get a win, I guess you could say, when they play Courts like on Friday evening. So that obviously will be a big one for them. And yeah, you're right about the defence, Joris. I saw a lot of Leuven fans are unhappy uh, with Rika performance at the moment, Sam Playtinks. And then, yeah, obviously the goalkeeper situation is just a bit odd there as well. Uh, Kojikai is just disappeared I presume he's off he maybe he's left already I don't I haven't actually checked on that situation but <laughs> Prevot is the the main man between the sticks but he's not had the best start I guess you can say uh let's move on from this one then um yeah still can't believe Erpen are in the top four but like you guys said they, they start well quite a lot and then it's kind of what they're going to do after that uh the next game of the weekend was Kortrijk against Standard Liège. Battle of the bottom dwellers, I guess you could say, but neither side had a win and both sides left this game without a win anyway. Uh, the first goal for Kortrijk was just really, really poor from Standard. Just kind of really kind of lackadaisical football, uh, really kind of just no energy, nothing really in it. They were just kind of passing the ball around. It gets to, to Price uh, in the midfield and I think he thinks he has all the time in the world, but like Corsite weren't giving that much time. They win the ball back. Ball comes to Isaac Davies. He's only got one thought in his mind, which is to charge at goal and fire into the bottom corner for his first goal for the club. And it capped off a pretty decent performance from Davies. I thought I thought he was lively up front. I thought he gave them something else that they haven't really had for a while. Um, obviously, Avenatti is a completely different type of striker because he's a lot taller, a lot less mobile, but Davies just, yeah, he seemed to kind of link up quite well with some of the other guys. So interested to see how he gets on in that, uh, in, at the new club. Um, Standard thought they probably should have had a penalty. Uh, Dragos running through, looked like he got kind of tripped up. Um, 
I haven't really seen the replay, so I'll let you guys discuss that one a little bit more about what you thought about it. But I know that there was a lot of kind of anger and obviously there was some, uh, the, well, you know, when Eleven always reposts the thing and do like, is this a penalty? You know, there's a contentious decision that's been made. <laughs> um, but going into the second half standard, obviously pushing, they they waste a lot of chances. Um, Kanga missed a couple, Blagas, as we said. They finally got back into the game in the 72nd minute, though. Um, Hill Kwabi had came on in a 59th for replace Price, who hadn't had the best of games. But Kwabi got his first goal of the season, first goal for Stanley A's. Aaron Dodden with the corner, falls to Kwabi. Horrible, horrible defending from Courtside. No one, no one around him. He smashes into the back of the net to make it 1-1. And that is pretty much how this one finished. So, pretty unsatisfactory I guess, result you could say for both sides in this one. They have kind of both been eyeing this as the chance to really get off the mark. Standard still with just now two goals scored. Um, Quartzite just, yeah, can't keep clean sheets at all. Slightly good news, obviously, about the imminent takeover by Burnley. Um, Hopefully for them, that might give them a little bit of time to get some new players in, but they're running out of time in that regard. There's not much of the window left for them to bring guys in, so they're going to have to move quite quickly. Um, but yeah, I guess unsatisfactory for both sides pretty much sums up this game. Well, last week, um, you guys will remember me saying that I was worried this could be potentially a bit of an eye bleeder. <laughs> well, the good news is it wasn't. It was actually a pretty decent game, uh, played at a good tempo. So that that was the first thing that that I that I enjoyed. We had a we had a decent game despite you know two sides you know desperately struggling at the moment. Ben's right. Obviously, Burnley's um, takeover of Cortrite should be formally confirmed um, really very soon. But it's, it's very well known public knowledge now that 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 has more or less kind of gone through and that you know Burnley are effectively in control of the recruitment there now as well um lots of interesting uh chat in the last few days about potential loan deals for some you know really quite decent players potentially coming into Cartwright so we'll see if we can get they can get agreement on those um Ben was talking about you know not a lot of time being left in the window and my worry is that you know because of that there's a certain degree of panic about to set in and they might try to get in as many as many as they can and, and not necessarily be able to fit any of them into any holes whatsoever so we'll, we'll see what they can do um, Standard, we know about their issues don't want to say too much because they're the same issues we've kind of been talking about you know, getting deja vu a little bit about it. I thought they you know, they, they got stuck in and, and fought for their point um, in the end. Cotrite really should have probably won this game I think though in the balance of chances they created they, they had enough opportunities I think to, to finish standard off um and and kind of wasted them really. So um yeah that that'll be frustrating I think for for, for Ed Still not to really have got the points because I think in the balance of play they probably deserved it. Um a point, you know, standard probably would have taken a point before before the weekend um and the game um just because of the way things are going for them at the moment they obviously have their own uh ownership situation with with 777 uh who we've had a an interesting listener's question about um this week um which we'll get to shortly um yeah they've got a situation where 777 obviously are trying to acquire Everton at the moment in the Premier League and uh, because of that, they're having to freeze their assets, which means that effectively nobody can come in and out. Um, they can't. They can't spend any money. Um, players have to leave before somebody can come in, and then they can't spend more than is than than is coming in. So um, it's it's a real recruitment nightmare for them. And much like Cortrike's worry about the window closing, it's the same for Standard. Um, the um, you know, they, they want to bring players in and improve that squad as much as possible before the window shuts. But of course, um, you know, the hands are the hands are kind of partially tied by what's going on there. Also, they can't renew anybody's contract. That's another bizarre thing because as soon as you do that in this situation with owners and assets being frozen, that changes the value of a player. So although they can bring players in, um you know, they, 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 they're extremely limited to kind of what they can do. And as we were saying just last week, or Ben was highlighting, the, I think the standard fans' anger and frustration is rising, not just for the performances on the pitch, but um, what they perceive to be a real sort of lack of support 
um, in terms of the the infrastructure and investment from 777. So that's one to to just kind of keep an eye on kind of generally. But I do worry because what they need is they need probably another striker and they certainly need a, a, a decent proven kind of uh, creator um, who can break lines for them. Somebody like Steph Peters, who they have been linked with, uh, who they can't agree a deal with. Um, although there's going to be a lot of pressure on on anybody coming in to fill that role. So um, a lot of turbulence around for, for both of these clubs, really. Yep, and winless is indeed the team of this game for both teams still. Um, 12 games without a win for Standard. And, um, well... They are at least quite consistent in conceding one goal per game. They have done that now five times in a row. They they uh, lost to 1-0 three times and drew to uh, two times 1-1, uh, if I'm not mistaken, or is it the other way around? But um, yeah, and for Kortrijk, um, it's nine games without a win now. That uh, Getting their, their first point this season, which is in a way maybe getting off the mark, but yeah. They are not much with this uh, at the moment, but it's uh, probably some sign of relief. And um, yeah, uh, the, then yeah, the, with with a typical moment for a side that will be struggling all season, uh, around the 60 minute mark, uh, where Kadri had a rebound uh, fall for an open goal mount, but like he was just a bit too much uh, ahead uh, to hit the ball. Like well, to be con- <clears throat> to have a controlled hit of the ball, and uh, yeah, he missed that chance. That's uh, that would have been the two nil, but um, unfortunately for them, that did not happen. And you just knew that they would not win this game uh, anymore after that. At least I, I felt it. Uh, and yeah, that's uh, that's the sad news for for them. But um, yeah, nonetheless, they they got that point. It's it's at least something. Yeah, more news on Cortec was of course last week the, the news that uh, Lars Montigny uh, went away for, to RSA Futures. Yeah, the, a youngster without a contract, so they don't even get any money for him as well. Yeah, um, yeah they, that that situation there, they definitely as a club did not handle well, and um, yeah, uh, that's. In, when the resources are already a bit limited, um, both financially and in the squads, uh, in, in personnel, yeah, that, that adds uh, insult to injury, I suppose. Um, but yeah, um, we'll see how, how how they will fare without him. And there are some rumors how it will go if Bernie takes them over and if the, that will be in time to, to bring some players in still. The, that they definitely do need as well. Um, well, but that goes for both teams that were, uh, yeah, part of this game. Yeah, definitely worrying times uh, for both of those sides. And I mean, yeah, of course, like obviously, like we said, they face Leuven on Friday, so they'll be looking at that one as a chance to kind of get off the mark as well. Standard host Molenbeek, and um, I think Molenbeek have sold out their away allocation for that one. So it'll be interesting to see how they get on there. But I just, yeah, I feel like a negative result on Saturday evening in Liège could, yeah, could start to get a little bit ugly um, if things don't go their way and all the, yeah, all that's happening around 7-7-7. Which, I mean, we may as well bring in that question now while we're talking about standard, won't we? It comes from um, Pierre Larouche, uh, who asked, what do we think about 7-7-7 partners? <laughs> um, uh, not great things at the moment, I think. Uh, we had that stat about how, uh, like, none of their teams have done well uh, basically since the start of the season. I did an article for Get Football on it, um, so you can check that out if you're interested in kind of looking around all the different sides that they own. Uh, so good luck, Everton fans, <laughs> because it's not been going well for anyone else. <laughs> um, I don't. Like, I think kind of not looking, that it I've can looked... go much worse than Everton yeah. is going at the moment either. <laughs> Yeah, but I think for their fans as well, they're kind of they may be in a similar ish situation to Standard in that they're like hoping that someone will come in and like turn things around, and that obviously hasn't happened at Standard, and I don't know if it's going to happen at Everton. Genoa obviously went down and they've come back up. Um, Hertha Berlin have had a terrible start to the season. I think they did finally win at the weekend, though, um, if I remember rightly. Fevriak got off the mark as well. Um, Sevilla hadn't started that well. Their side in is it in Brazil, Vasco da Gama, 
uh, in kind of near the bottom. But then I looked at that league and Santos are also near the bottom. So, yeah, it's been clearly an interesting time for that side as well. But I, I don't really understand. Like, I think from just kind of chatting a load of nonsense at the moment, uh, they have kind of this idea of self-sustainability, which I don't think is the worst thing in football um, as, an, as a kind of like an idea and as a model. But I think their kind of recruitment hasn't looked great at standard uh, and it's been kind of, they've obviously lost Dyler, which was a massive, massive kind of part of what was going on there and what was going well there was Dyler. Um, and that was like the biggest red flag, I think, to the fans and any kind of onlookers as to what was going to be happening this season. Um, so I don't think, yeah, I don't think the recruitment's been great. I mean, Osha Davida, who they brought in last summer, he's all, he's got it going back to Israel apparently as well. So it's kind of like that, some of them just haven't worked out at all. Um, but I don't know. Do you guys think that the squad on paper is better than how they're performing now? Like, how much can we blame the current situation on seven seven seven? How much is like the players, and then how much is kind of coaching? All three are below par, I think. And then, yeah, I would say that they are at the moment more or less in the region, at least where they well, where you would place them. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult. I mean, I think, you know, the, the dialer situation, to come back to that, is is quite illuminating here, I think, because what that tells us is that, you know, a, a good coach can, you know, stretch more out of um, average players, to be blunt about it sometimes, or players who um, are lucky enough to be playing at that level at that stage of their career. And, I think Ronnie Dyla's argument in leaving, not to go into this in too much detail, you know, because we know a lot already, was more about, look, I've done quite a good job here with very little support. Give me a little bit some more, more support, and I'll be able to do even more, which actually is a pretty reasonable argument when you look at, you know... Um, where they finished last season, for example, you know, he, he did very well, all things considered. Take him out of the picture and the, the operational situation is exactly the same. Not any real investment uh, going on there. You know, I, I understand wanting to balance the books and to get, um, you know, players on large wages out. Those those kind of economic operational things are really important longer term. So Pierre Locke is completely right when he came out the other week to kind of highlight these things because they are incredibly important and, and probably the, the, the biggest aspect of his day-to-day job. From Fergal Harkin's perspective, he's obviously trying to look um, long-term at improving um, the, the the playing staff at the club um, and his job is incredibly difficult at the moment because he, he essentially has no wiggle room um, through no fault of his own and Fergal's a really talented guy and he has a massive network at his disposal that it's very difficult for him to make use of so I would imagine he's he's very frustrated um, at the moment all of which means you're not doing well on the pitch which we know we can see that fan frustration builds and then people start to to blame one another as, as kind of tensions rise when in fact as we know in these situations you just kind of need some patience but on 777 specifically you know as Ben was saying and we've talked about a couple of times recently the evidence when you look at their other clubs um, is the, a similar situation basically you know n- no real investment and not a great deal of growth and, and clubs kind of stagnating um, so yeah, it's not it's not a great report card um, on seven seven seven. I don't think from the BFP's perspective, um, and I do think there is a point with the standard fans because they're incredibly passionate amongst the most passionate in Belgium. Um, that I think their patience will run out unless things start to turn for the club in in a way that you know. Um, you know, calm supporters down a little bit because I think they ultimately need to see some evidence of some progress. And although some has been made financially on getting key wage bills down and and um, some of the financials are certainly a bit more secure, there's no evidence at the moment that the club are able to build um, in, in the way that the fans want to see. And, and that's how how long are they going to get before, as Ben says, it kind of gets ugly because they're 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 playing a pretty dangerous game at the moment, really. Yeah, and they're not really the fan base that you want to be playing dangerous games with, um, because they're not afraid to speak their mind. That's for sure. Um, Saturday, Sunday, sorry, afternoon, uh, Bruges travelled to the Wasabi Stein to face Saint Truden. Uh, both sides ended this game with. 
twenty plus shots. Um, Circle ended with an xG three point nine six, but only thirty seven percent possession. So they were happy for St. June to have the ball. St. June obviously without that kind of goal scoring striker again really did struggle to find the back of the net. Thankfully for Circle, they had one that was was trying its hardest to find the back of the net in Kevin Denke. Um, can't say he wasn't yeah giving it all. Twelve shots he had in this game. Uh, they brought that number up, and I was like, that just that's ridiculous, a ridiculous amount of shots for a striker to have, um, and only have one goal to to kind of show for it. But it wasn't him who opened the scoring for Circler. It was uh, Thibaut Sommers in the second half. Really, really nice pass from Yangabor. Um Kind of Denki's run actually across opened up the space for Sommers. He had lots of time. He found the back of the net to make it 1-0 in the 63rd. 66 minutes, Hugo CK comes off. Alan Minder comes on. Two minutes later, Alan Minder is very much involved. Lovely step-overs in the box. Absolutely drives past, I think it was, was it Van Helden? Um, or maybe it was Bruno Godot, one of those guys. He just flew past him. Looks like his shot is going in, but Kevin Denke's like, I've had all the chances, I want one. Uh, he taps it in. I don't think Minda really minded. Um, from the celebrations, they were dancing together and he looked pretty chuffed to just have an assist. So that's a golden assist for Minda in the last two games. People starting to kind of take a little bit of notice of him. Uh, within Belgian media, I've seen they're quite impressed with what they're seeing from him. Uh, St. Trudeau rang the changes. Barnes, Yanomoto, Ito all came on. Couldn't make a difference, couldn't find the back of the net, couldn't get them back into the game. Circler win this one, two goals to nil. Uh, that's back-to-back wins for them. They move into the top six with nine points. Um, and yeah, I think it's kind of a story of a side that has kind of can finish their chances uh, that against a side that couldn't really, isn't it, guys? And if, unfortunately, that might be the, the case for St. Jude this year. And I don't want us to talk about it every week, but it's just... It's glaringly obvious every single time that we watch. Them. Yeah, it's a really good summary, actually, of the way this this game went. Ben, I think ball does on the whole continue to delight. I must say, lots of good football played, um, and they are creating, um, which I think from Torsten Fink's point of view will be probably the most encouraging thing. Um, it's what we mentioned last week and a couple of weeks before that when we talked about how pleasantly surprising they've been. Um, you know, they they need a striker. Uh, they need a proven striker and, you know, they just need somebody, um, yeah, or, or a couple of players with a little bit more composure perhaps to finish some of the, the opportunities. Um, I think if they keep playing the way they were playing, um, as I was saying last week, I, I do think they're actually going to be fine this season because of the the all of the positives that we've mentioned. And Ben was saying last week he wrote an article about some of the numbers uh, behind what what uh, what's going on with Finkball, and that's that's definitely worth a read. Um, so yeah, I mean, lots of good football from them, but just not able to take advantage of of, of their opportunities, and that's what they're going to need to do. Um, you know, if they're going to build upon that, Circle and Truth probably could have scored four or five in this game with the opportunities they had. They they were really clinical, and I thought they were really they really turned the screw, particularly in the second half. I thought St. Truden were quite poor in the second half. I wasn't sure whether um, they'd kind of chucked it, but actually, um, I, I think Circle were really very good in the second half. You know, they they upped it. Um, because the the first half is entertaining as it was and and open, um, you know didn't didn't create too many chances for for either side uh, and Circle really took it up a couple of gears in the second half and yeah kind of walked away with it um, in the end. Um, I'm a big fan of Alan Minda. Everybody knows that. Um, he's shown again. Um, I would like to see him starting regularly, to be honest, but I understand why he's not at the moment. He's certainly showing enough to to kind of do that. Um, Circle have brought in uh, Kazim uh, Olegbe today, Olegbe. I'm not quite sure the connect pronunciation there. Like Ben, I've just gone and murdered something. Um, but yeah, that's a really good pickup for them because that's actually a four-year deal that Kazim's come in on. And I think a lot of us were expecting that to be a loan. So Remberg Romant, the, the new sporting director at Circle, already um, you know, impressing with some of the names that are coming in. Um, and they've they've been doing quite a lot of business um recently, Circle. There, there, there are moves around in the background, might be some more 
more faces coming in there as well. So no time being lost by Rembert getting his, his feet under the desk after Carlos Savina's departure for, for Monaco. But yeah, Circle just proving what a good side they actually are. Um, and they're not intimidated. They're becoming very adaptable. There was a brilliant interview with Miron Muslic um, that was released today Um that I, I think it was uh, Dazen or Alden Sports that, that that did it, and um, he was being interviewed, and and one of the criticisms being put to him was, you know, this circle side is effective but not great to watch. And I have to say, I was surprised by that because not only did I completely disagree with it, because I think they are one of the better sides to watch in the pro league. Um, I think you know w- what they've been doing is is something a lot of clubs can actually learn from. So I actually thought that was remarkably sort of. Um, I would even go as far as to say um, uh, sort of disrespectful to what's been going on at Circle um, because of, of of all of the good work that, you know, we've raved about it kind of a lot because we've seen some of it firsthand, you know, having met some of the staff. So we, we know what they're doing there and it almost feels like, you know, some people haven't been kind of watching closely enough. But good, really good game this, really good advert for the Pro League. Um, lots and lots of um, good football and um, Circle showing yet again um, they are they're a good side. And Sintra they need a striker. Yes, that's basically the, the gist of, uh, of everything in this game. But um, yeah, Sintra apart from that, also really, again, I'm in this team of teams not liking to play each other or other side. Well, I'm siding with those teams this week, it seems. I uh, could also have taken the other approach. But um, uh, Sintra have not... Uh, have won only one of their last 12 home games against Sikhnebuggen now. So, um, yeah, that's definitely a worrying stat um, as well. Um, Denki indeed missed a lot of chances, just like the whole of his team, actually. Um, the, the, their XG is actually close to four, so they'll, I would actually say they were not clinical at all. But, uh, yeah, in the, in the end, both Denki and the team got the win and the goals, so... Uh, Nobody will mind too much, but um, in other games, this might cost them, of course. And um, yeah, that that's, uh, that's well, we can't predict if that's going to happen or if it's going to happen a lot, but it might for sure. Something to keep in the back of their minds um, anyway. And um, well, other on the other end of the pitch, they, they've only still only conceded own goals after f- five games. So that's... Uh, that's quite interesting to see as well for from Circle's point of view. So that's uh, yeah, they're they're on a good track for sure. Still, <laughs> the still as well. Yeah, no, they definitely definitely are. Um, like we said earlier, they they host Westerlo on Saturday evening, a uh, Saturday afternoon. Sorry, and then so Sweden they get to travel to everyone's favorite part of Belgium, Charleroi, uh, <laughs> who travelled to Brussels uh, at the weekend to face Anderlecht's uh, heated game, this one. Uh, felt a, a bit of nibble going around between both sides, really getting into each other, um, which was always fun to see. Really good atmosphere as well. It kind of exploded when Tio Leone gave Ander the lead. Um, some nice play on the left-hand side from the the Mavs initially uh, found, eventually uh, felt a Dolberg in the box. He tried to lead it off uh, into someone on the edge of the box. I can't quite remember who it was to shoot. It was a terrible layoff. Just <laughs> went absolutely nowhere. Ball falls to Zorgan, who <laughs> he's kind of going across his box. And I don't know, even as a kid, you're taught never play across your box. But that's a pass, let alone like dribble across your box and then try and beat a man across your box. is always a bit of a weird decision to make. He thinks he can beat Leone. Leone nips the ball off him, fires it into the back of net. First uh, league professional goal, I believe it was for Leone. You could see it really, really did mean quite a lot to him. Um, it was a really, really nice finish as well. Um, however, there was some controversy with this one, with the Benito Raman throw-in. It was a quick throw-in, but he was like, he's basically on, he was on the pitch when he took the throw-in. Uh, it's the most ridiculous thing. And you're just like, how can VAR not intervene and say that that is illegal? And it's, yeah, do you know what I mean? Like they, they, that should have just been an intervention. Uh, maybe Anderlet fans will point to the fact that Herve Coffee could probably have been sent off uh, during the first half as well to say it kind of maybe evened itself out. But that's what I mean by the kind of the nibble in this. There were tackles flying in. Coffee probably got away with one flying out of his box and just literally flying into uh, one of the Anderlecht players. So 
yeah, an entertaining first half. Charleroi got themselves back level in the second half, 75th minute. Free kick to the back stick, gets headed across. Andre is there to tap home. They recently, I believe, rejected an offer from Venezia to loan Andre to Serie B. They're pretty happy that they did that after this one. However, there the parity lasted for just two minutes. Anderlecht on the break down the other end. Um, finds the ball on the right-hand side. Kylian Sardella whips it in. Amuzu heads it into the back of the net. And it finishes 2-1 to Anderlecht. And as you said earlier, we had a new leader, and that is Anderlecht. That's four wins on the bounce for them. They are top of the league. For Charleroi, they are one of the five sides without a win. They also the second lowest scorers with just three goals. Um, guys, I'm going to chuck in another listener question uh, in here. This comes from Ben. Uh, not me. <laughs> there, is, there are other Bens out there. Um, but I guess I'm reading it out anyway, so that it, it kind of fits. Uh, so, yeah, Ben asks, does this weekend performance first and elect indicate a meaningful step forward for Charleroi? It seemed to me that they had two or great, two or three great chances to snag at least a point, but they just couldn't finish. Yes, I, I, I thought they were pretty decent this weekend, actually, on the whole. Uh, so in that sense, there, there has been an improvement. I thought they might feel a little bit unlucky not to have got something out of this game. Um, as I was saying, a quite decent. Felix Mazu was saying uh, afterwards that he felt they played well and that actually they they lost out to two mistakes. Two mistakes cost them, which I think when when you look at the game and analyse it a little bit, I think that's a fair analysis. Actually, you know the the uh, Teo Loyoni goal is 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 a wonderful finish, albeit it's a mistake that allows him to um, you know pick up the ball there um, and and the winner. Um, Amuzu's header, they they get caught really badly on a transition um, and, you know, it's just a wonderful transition goal, which Brian Reimer really enjoyed. But yeah, specifically in relation to the question, I thought Charleroi were pretty decent this week, so um, they they have lots of reasons to kind of, you know, feel a little bit better about themselves. And a bit like Westerlo, although they've certainly had a sticky start, I I would expect them to to improve. I thought um, Zorgan and Morioka in the middle I think is a good comment Combination. I said last week I thought it was interesting that Morioka's kind of come back in um, under Mazu now, um, had a couple of starts uh, because he seemed to be out of the picture, probably because most people expected him to leave, but it doesn't look like he's going to now unless something really dramatic happens in the next few days. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if they can continue uh, playing like they did this weekend, I, I, will, I think they'll start to pick up some points soon. And with or without Morioka, it remains to be seen because he's in the team because of that injury, uh, that that uh, suspension for Eli Mahita, of course. Still, um, we'll see what happens. But I think it's—is is he already uh, allowed to play again this week? I think so. Or is it a week? Is it still one week left? Either way, also with Trevel now coming into the fold, so he might pick up some more minutes. But yes, uh, we will have to see that. Yeah. We, we just cannot not talk longer about that coffee cycle, I guess. <laughs> Although, on the other hand, it's quite clear that everyone actually agrees with it, that he should have been sent off. On the other hand, Diawara then two minutes later, well, also with, came with a tackle, which probably would have gotten a red if coffee would also have been sent off, uh, I guess. That, 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 uh, yeah, there, there were indeed some tackles flying around there, uh, but... Yeah, um, but yeah, Charleroi still winless indeed. Um, they're, they're, yeah, they're, they're lacking something uh, at the moment still. Uh, despite playing quite well the last few weeks, they didn't have the easiest of schedules, of course, uh, either. Yeah, and uh, like Ben said, Anderlecht four wins uh, in a row now and top of the league. Um, first time um, for the four wins in a row uh, since the end of 2021. 2021. So November, December, they had a streak in that year. And um, yeah, okay, the other talking point is indeed the, the throw-in. Uh, well, where it, it actually is also quite clear, I guess. So it's it's more a bit of a a bit of a refereeing or VARing disaster in this game. But um, all in all, we'll have to see um, how this uh, plays out. So I, I think a draw would have been a relatively fair result here. In the end, it's Anderlecht that run away with it uh, through a nice header from, of uh, Amuzu, uh, of all people. Who would have expected that? Uh, and also the question on, is there still, like, will he still leave in the last 
um, days of the transfer window, at least for the for the uh, for the most countries uh, where he would be allowed uh, or, or where we would be eyeing uh, to move to uh, inside Belgium. Of course, it, there would still be options um, to uh, to for an, another additional week almost. But um, yeah, I don't think that will be that his next destination, if there will be, uh, will be inside Belgium. You guys were both kind of mentioning Anderlecht being top of the league, um, which which hasn't happened for a long time. And in fact, we have to go back to, I think, August of 2018 was the last time they were sitting proudly at the top. So they've taken advantage of other clubs not playing because of their, 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 their European exploits. And yeah, psychologically, this must be very, very good for them. Yep, and on the other hand, I guess the litmus tests are coming now. Um, they already have, no, to be honest, they actually had a few already against uh, against Union where they, they they will need to do better than mm. they, they did there so far. They've picked up picked up the points. Did they actually do much better in in the in the play? Well, I suppose so because that game was really horrible from them. But um, they're, they're, uh, is it good enough to really? Yeah, to, to to be able to dream of even more, um, the, that will be something that they will find out with uh, with the next upcoming games. Uh, they play Henk this weekend, and uh, there's a few other uh, top games coming for them. And um, by the end of September, we probably will have a better view of that. That probably goes for the whole league as well, though, where everyone. Well, more or less, we'll end up. We will fight for what and and so on. Um, but um, yeah, at the moment, it's still a bit early to tell. But good signs for them that they get get, get the points. Um, but I'm sure that some of the fans uh, definitely, or all, all fans, always actually also, of course, will want to also see more improvements in the in the way they play. But um, so far, given the situation they're in, I think they're relatively happy where they are at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I'd definitely rather be there than uh, having lost loads of those games. You guys mentioned, obviously, they're top because of some other teams' European commitments. I'll just quickly go through the scores and then we'll get to one of the list of questions around the European action. Then we'll go to our one piece of news and then we will go to the challenger and that'll be it for this week's episode. So, obviously, Antwerp in the Champions League qualification, they faced IEK Athens. Got off to a good start, Vincent Janssen gave them the lead, but then Yeli Batai got sent off in the 50th minute is pretty much sold short by a terrible pass from Mandela Keita. And then Antwerp are basically defending for the whole game. Uh, Kudibari, their new signing on loan from Dortmund, would, was really, really good. I thought he had a fantastic game next to Toby Adevarad. They held out to win 1-0 uh, to take that result back to Greece. Union in Europa League qualification, they faced Lugano of Switzerland. They won 2-0. Dennis Eckhart, Kasper Terho, so they take a nice 2 0 lead to the beautiful city or town of Lugano. Club Bruges, they went one up against Osasuna away from home through Scott Olsen. Osasuna equalised in the 78th minute, but then two minutes later, Maxime de Goyper made it 2-1 to Club Bruges. They head home with a 1-0 lead, or 2-1, sorry, 2-1 lead, 1-0 aggregate lead. So hopefully they'll be able to see that one through. Ghent beat Apoel Nicosia. Uh, absolutely no love lost between the two managers in this one. Uh, Van Heisenberg and, and Pinto. Like, Pinto was just like proper, um, I'd love it if we beat them sort of vibes <laughs> for him. He was like, just wanted to knock, I think he wanted to knock Hein out physically and footballingly. <laughs> He's like, not getting out and he wants to fully punch Hein in the face. Malik Fafada and Hong Siak Kyung. Uh, scored late for Ghent to take a 2-0 lead to Cyprus. A lot of late goals for the Belgian sides. Genk were 1-0 down to uh, Adnan Adenemispor early in the second half. Then Tolu equalised in the 77th before Daniel Munoz made it 2-1 in the 93rd. So everyone won. Uh, there's lots of tight games. So there's going to be plenty of action this week. We do have a question around kind of the European games, which is why I just quickly run through those and we'll get your guys' kind of opinions on this one. Uh, it comes from Blake on Twitter. He said, what would uh, what would be considered a successful European campaign for each of the five clubs playing? Uh, then he lists his. Uh, for Antwerp, he's put qualifying for the Champions League, then dropping down to the Europa League. For uh, Union, it's quarterfinals of the Europa League. Genk and Ghent, quarterfinals of the Conference League. And then Club Bruges, semi-finals of the Conference League. Uh Scott, I'll let you go first. What do you think would be a good kind of 
overall European campaign for the Belgians? Well, I think real success is all five qualifying for, for group stage football. Um, the question is how many of them will, how many might we lose? I hope we don't lose any. My one worry um, is around Genk, mainly because of their European record and because that game is just very finely balanced, I think. Luckily, they managed to turn around the first leg um, late on um, to, take a, to take a lead to Turkey, uh, which I think is important. So they, they're my main worry of, of, of the five. Um, I think uh, I think Club Bruges have the the quality and depth in their squad to go reasonably far in the Conference League, um, and I think looking at it at the moment, they they arguably could go the furthest, um, but we'll just need to wait and see. But I, I'm keeping my fingers and toes crossed that we're going to get all four, all five sides in in group stage football for for obvious coefficient reasons. Yeah, well, can't agree more, I guess. Well, I'm, I am also a bit worried for Hink. Every team that's that would get there um, should also be able to get through the through the group stages as well. And then later on, depends on the draws. Yeah, no, can't really add much more to that. Obviously, we'll know the draws uh, by next week, so we can kind of give a little bit more of a, an educated answer to that question as well. Uh, just quickly before we go to the challenger, a bit of international news. There's a new under-21 head coach, Scott. You've done a little bit of research into him. Why don't you tell the, the listeners about the new man in charge of the uh, new setup? Yeah, well, the new T1 uh, of the under-21s is Gil Sverts, who um, is a 40-year-old Belgian, of course, a former Red Devil himself. Uh, 17 caps for the Red Devils and one goal between uh, 2006 and 2009. Um, spent most of his playing career um, actually in the Eredivisie uh, spells at Feyenoord, Excelsior Rotterdam, uh, obviously likes Rotterdam and why not? Rotterdam's a great city. Uh, Den Haag, Vitesse Arnhem, AZ, uh, Breda as well. A uh, very short spell at Notts County uh, in England and uh, also a short spell in Denmark with uh, Sonderisk. Um, and then 20 appearances in Belgium for Sarang, uh, who at that time were, were were in the third tier. So he has been appointed and um, appointed ahead of some quite big, reasonably high-profile names. Uh, Carol Gierertz and Thomas Buffel were also interviewed for this post as well. So um, he's, he's done very well to, to be appointed this, I think. He leaves, um, he leaves the Young Reds. He was the T1 there at Antwerp's Academy um, and he's been there for the last four years. So this is his first really high-profile coaching job um, and a very exciting one for him. So uh, good luck to, to Gil. Yep, good luck to him in that role. Hopefully they'll fare better at the next major tournament than they did at the most recent one. Uh, before we go, Scott, back to you again for the Challenger. And we also have a listener question related to the Challenger, which I'll throw it you guys at the end of the roundup. Yes, we've reached um, match day three in the Challenger Pro League. I'll just run through the, the results from this weekend. Uh, Jong Genk lost 3-0 home to Club Next. Sarang got battered 5-0 by Zulta Varagam. Uh, Standard Liège 16 against Beershot was postponed um, due to a, a shooting in the Liège area um, and that, that, there's a lot of fallout around that which is yet to be resolved so there'll be, there'll be more on that game. Patro Eisden beat Beveren 2-1. Lommel kept up their 100% record. They beat Denza 1-0 at home. Dender and Liège played out a, a two-all draw. RFC Liège uh, heaped more misery on Oostend. They won 2-0 at home. And Franck Baron uh, beat Anderlecht Futures 1-0. So in terms of the bigger picture, as always, Lommel, as I was saying, maintain their 100% record. They they stay top, three wins out of three. And we all know that Steve Bold is, is currently Lommel's T1. Um, Arsenal legend, of course. And, you know, regular followers of English football will know that during Steve Bold's time, he was kind of synonymous with that period with the phrase 1-0 to the Arsenal um, was, was, was a big thing. And Lommel might be uh, the next Belgian uh, 1-0 to the Lommel, that could become a thing because it seems to have started that way. Um, so they're top and doing very, very well. I've, I've seen a fair bit of Lommel already this season and they're, they're looking quite good at the moment. 
Um, Ustend, I mentioned, they they are now uh, yeah they've lost all three so far. The only side yet to score, struggling, had a really bad start. The positive news for the Coos boys is they brought in two two um, promising attacking players over the last couple of days. They've signed. Uh, Ewan Henderson from Hibernian in Scotland, a player I know very well, haven't seen quite a lot of uh, during his time uh, and his development at Celtic before he went to Hibs. And also the the Colombian attacking midfielder uh, Wanda Fuentes has come in, uh, I think that was yesterday, uh, from Barcelona B. So um, Stein Verheven will be hoping that Ewan Henderson and Wanda Fuentes can um, start scoring and providing some, some goals because they they're really struggling at the moment. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, they they really do need it. They're just you're never too good to go down. They could just if they don't sort it out. Back to back relegations isn't impossible. Um, it's happened before. Uh, from Baron's goal. Uh, if you haven't seen it, definitely check that out. Matthew Healy's second goal since joining from Ipswich under twenty ones. Really, really nice finish from him. He's looking like a decent prospect. And then. Yeah, speaking of East End, like Liège for their two goals, RFC Liège just took them to pieces, like just played them apart mm. off the pitch. It was really, really nice football uh, from the newly promoted side, which would be a great boost for them. However, our questions, our question is related to Beverham. Uh, obviously, she said they lost late on to Patro Eisden with not the best bit of goalkeeping from Royce. Uh, has to be said, he didn't kind of cover himself in much glory. Um, it's from long-time listener and uh, long-time kind of, yeah, we always have good chats with uh, Football Soteca on Twitter. He says, or they say, uh, explain why Bevan went from promotion candidate to relegation candidate in one summertime. Um, then they call out uh, our good friend, another good friend of ours, Antoine, that maybe you can invite Antoine because he won't answer <laughs> us, uh, which was followed up by at Beveren boy. Yes, please invite Antoine since he's a friend of the show. Um <laughs> We hear see nothing, some t- taking responsibility when things don't go as planned and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I, <laughs> I mean, the Beveren one, Scott, like, what do you think is the issue for them at the moment? I mean, I know they obviously lost a lot of key players. Um, and like we were talking before, weren't we, before we went on air, that one of the problems for them is kind of, they could have ordinarily they they may have had a chance of going up finishing second anyway so they're kind of in an unlucky situation like that but I guess like we know Anton he'll he'll be disappointed with the start that they've had to the season anyway and they have brought some players in and they'll be hoping that they gel quite quickly but you've obviously watched a bit of Lomo you've watched a bit of Evan what do you think is kind of different for them this year compared to last year? Well, first of all, can I say what a fabulously confrontational question that is? I love it. Um, yeah, I mean, I think this is this is quite a complex one. Obviously, Beveren fans are, or, or a section of them, are quite angry at the moment because they have had a poor start. Um, it's difficult. Obviously, last year they were they were very good, and as Ben was saying, ordinarily they would have went up last year. Um, they've lost they've lost a lot of firepower this summer. Um, as we know, and I, I think they knew that was going to happen, uh, particularly after it was confirmed that they weren't going to be promoted on, on the last day. Um, the players that have left this summer actually account for 87% of all of their goals last season, which is an unbelievable stat um, and kind of highlights really the issue. How, how do you replace that in a like-for-like way, which is obviously what you hope you do. Added to this is the fact that they lost a very good sporting director in, in Jordi Condom, who has always had a good eye for a player and um, w- was all over this recruitment last season. So um, I, I think he's a, a big structural loss. Tom van den Abiel has come in to replace Jordi. Um, and to be fair to the club, they, they've been very active this summer. They haven't sat on their hands at all. But they, they, they couldn't afford to, you know, that 87% stat is quite telling. Um and I think, you know, they've brought in players that they hope in some way would, would hit the ground running. And what we've seen or what I've seen from them so far is that, you know, those players are just not having much of an impact yet. Um, and it, it, it's difficult because, you know, when you've had quite a good season like they did last year, um, they've lost some real fan favourites, some really good players, actually. 
Um, and it's a lot to ask for recruitment to replace like for like. Not many sides have been able to do that and maintain the same levels of output and consistency. I think the only side probably that have lost key players and managed to do that on a repetitive basis are Union saint of course. Um, so this is a this is a difficult one. So I understand the fans' anger. I think they have to be a little bit patient because although the start has been very poor. Um, you know, I, I think you need time to adjust. I think the silence from the management of the club uh, is probably more to do with the fact that I'm sure they're um, beavering away and looking at data uh, and consulting with one another. I think the pressure on Wim de Decker has certainly gone up as a result of this because obviously, you know, all our, all eyes are on him ultimately. Um, I think the next two or three games are going to be key. I think if there isn't any evidence of an improvement, I think a decision probably will be forced upon the management, um, which I can understand, particularly with rising frustration from the fans. But it's going to be a really important two or three week period for them. Um, and obviously uh, there's an international break kind of coming up um, as well. Um, but yeah, kind of tricky time for Beveren at the moment. Um, I think everybody just needs to stay calm for the moment because, yeah, I think pushing the panic button too early can can actually cause more damage as well. So look at the data, do your consulting, and um, we'll, we'll see the way the cards fall. Yeah, they face uh, SL16 next, um, which... I think they kind of have to win. Um, obviously, it's not like a do or die thing, but I think if you kind of they need to make kind of a statement win uh, against SL sixteen in that in that next game. The SL obviously won their first game of the season uh, over RFC Liège um, a couple of weeks ago. They lost three 0 to a ten men Sarang to open the season. The, the, these are the teams that Beveren, if they're serious about promotion, they have to beat kind of the youth sides. And what better way than to start with a victory over SL16 next weekend? But yeah, I can understand the fans' frustration because they obviously wanted a good start. They want to get that promotion this season. Um, they've been down there a little bit too long for their liking at the moment. Um, so yeah, hopefully it's just a, a slow start and then they can really build on and start to gel that team together. Um but I think that is just about it for this week's episode of the Belgian Football Podcast. As always, guys, it's been a pleasure sharing this evening with you. It's been a delight, as always, uh, chewing the cud. And um, good luck to all the Belgian sides in Europe over the next few days. Exactly that. And uh, see you next week. Well, hear you next week. <laughs> yes, still very much an audio, not a visual. I uh, don't think anyone's quite ready for the three of our mugs on a video at any time <laughs> soon. Um, but yeah, as always, thank you very much for listening. If you like what we do, please do leave us a review on your podcast app of choice. Also, yeah, get in touch with us with questions that you may have. We'll be sticking that tweet out every week, so you can just stick them underneath there or yeah, reach out to us in other ways that are also possible. Uh, we can share those around as well on the show notes. Um, even if they're contra- confrontational questions, we don't mind that. We're happy to answer them and, and kind of give our best evaluation of situations that are going on in Belgian football at the moment. But as always, it's been a pleasure talking about Belgian football to you and we'll see you very soon on another episode of the Belgian Football Podcast. <laughs>